Encyclicals of Pope Pius Twelfth, Miranda Prorsus, on motion pictures, radio, and television. Written on the 8th day of September, 1957. Section 3. Radio. No less carefully do we desire to express to you, venerable brethren, the anxiety which besets us with regard to that other means of communication which was introduced at the same period as the cinema. We refer to radio. Though it is not endowed to anything like the same extent with scenic properties and other advantages of time and place, as is the cinema industry, sound radio has yet other advantages, not all of which have been yet exploited. For as we said to the members and directors of a broadcasting company, this method of communication is such that it is, as it were, detached from and unrestricted by conditions of time and place, which block or delay all other methods of communication between men. On a kind of winged flight much swifter than sound waves, with the speed of light, it passes in a moment over all frontiers and delivers the news committed to it. Brought to almost complete perfection by new inventions, Wireless telegraphy brings outstanding advantages to technical processes, since by means of a ray, pilotless machines may be directed to a determined place. But we rightly think that the most excellent function which falls to radio is this, to enlighten and instruct men, and to direct their minds and hearts towards higher and spiritual things. But there is in men, though they may be within their own homes, a deep desire to listen to other men, to obtain knowledge of events happening far away, and to share in aspects of the social and cultural life of others. Hence it is not remarkable that a very large number of houses have, within a short period of time, been equipped with receiving sets, by which, as it were through secret windows opening onto the world, contact is made night and day with the active life of men of different civilizations, languages, and races. This is brought about by the countless wireless programs which cover news, interviews, talks, and items conveying useful and pleasant information derived from public events, the arts, singing, and orchestral music. For as we said recently, how great is the advantage enjoyed, how great the responsibility laid on men of the present day, and how great the changes from times gone by, when instruction in truth commandments of brotherly love, promises of everlasting happiness, came slowly to men through the apostles, treading the rough paths of that former age. Whereas in our day, the divine message can be conveyed to tens and hundreds of thousands of men at one time and the same time. It befits Catholics, then, to make use of this privilege of our day and to draw extensively from the rich fund of doctrine, recreation, art, and also of the divine word, which sound broadcasting brings to them, since they can thus increase and widen their range of interests. Everyone knows what a great contribution good radio programs can make to sound education. Yet from the use of this instrument there arises an obligation in conscience, as in the other technical arts, since it can be employed to achieve good or evil. Those words, then, written in scripture, can be applied to the art of radio. By it we bless God and the Father, and by it we curse men, 
who are made after the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. Duty of the Listener The first duty of the radio listener is that of choosing carefully and deliberately from the programs offered. These must not be permitted to enter the home indiscriminately, but access should be given them on the same principles as are observed in a deliberate and prudent invitation to a friend. A person would act wrongly if he made no selection in introducing friends into his home. So radio programs which are given entrance there must be such as encourage truth and goodness, and do not draw members of the family away from the fulfillment of their duty, whether to individuals or to society. They should be such as strengthen them to carry out these duties properly, and, in the case of children and youths, cause no harm, but rather assist and extend the salutary control of parents and teachers. Let the Catholic offices for radio set up in each country, making use of Catholic daily papers and reviews, endeavor to inform the faithful beforehand on the nature and value of the programs. It will not always be possible to give such advance notice, and often these will only be summary views, where the content of the program cannot be known easily beforehand. Parish priests should warn their flocks that they are forbidden by divine law to listen to radio programs which are dangerous to their faith or morals, and they should exhort those engaged in the training of youth to be on the watch and to instill religious principles with regard to the use of radio sets installed in the home. Moreover, it is the duty of bishops to call on the faithful, to refrain from listening to stations which are known to broadcast a defense of matter formally opposed to the Catholic faith. Another duty which binds listeners is to make known to the directors of the programs their wishes and justifiable criticism. This obligation arises clearly from the nature of sound radio, which is such that a wholly one-sided program may come into existence, namely that directed by the speaker to the listener. Although those systems of surveying public opinion, which are increasing in these days, to find out the degree of interest aroused in the listeners by each program, are doubtless useful to those who direct the programs, yet it can happen that popular appreciation more or less vigorously expressed, can be attributed to trivial or transient causes, or to enthusiasms with no rational basis, so that a judgment of this kind cannot be taken as a sure guide for action. That being the case, radio listeners ought to rouse themselves to obtain a well-balanced opinion among the general public, by which, while observing proper methods, these programs are, according to their merits, approved, supported, rebuked, thus bringing it about that the art of radio, considered as a method of education, may serve the truth, good morals, justice, and love. To bring about this effect is the task of all Catholic societies which are zealous for securing the good of Christians in this matter. But in those countries where local circumstances suggest it, groups of listeners or viewers can be organized for this purpose under the supervision of the national motion pictures, radio, or television offices established in each country. Finally, let listeners to the radio be aware that they are obliged to encourage reputable programs, and particularly those by which the mind is directed towards God. 
In this age in particular, when false and pernicious doctrines are being spread over the air, when, by deliberate jamming, a kind of aerial iron curtain is being created with the express purpose of preventing the entry of truth, which would overthrow the empire of atheistic materialism. In this age, we say, when hundreds of thousands of the human race are still looking for the dawning light of the gospel message, when the sick and others likewise handicapped look forward anxiously to taking part in some manner in the prayers and the ceremonies of the Mass in the Christian community, should not the faithful, especially those who make daily use of the advantages of the radio, show themselves eager to encourage programs of this kind? Religious Programs We are fully aware of the effort already being made in some countries and now being made to increase the Catholic programs from radio stations. Many from among both clergy and laity have been in the front of the fight, and by vigorous exertions have secured for religious radio programs a place befitting divine worship, which is more important than all human affairs taken together. But in the meantime, while we ponder to what extent radio can assist the work of the sacred ministry, and while we are moved strongly by the command of our divine Redeemer, going into the world preaching the gospel to every creature, we feel we must exhort you paternally, venerable brethren, to strive according to the need and resources of your respective localities, to increase in number and make more effective programs dealing with Catholic affairs. Since a properly dignified presentation of liturgical ceremonies, of the truths of the Catholic faith, and of events connected with the Church by means of radio, obviously demands considerable talent and skill, it is essential that both priests and laymen, who are selected for so important an activity, should be well-trained in suitable methods. This end would be clearly assisted if, in countries where Catholics employ the latest radio equipment and have day-to-day -day experience, appropriate study and training courses could be arranged, by means of which learners from other countries could also acquire that skill, which is indispensable if radio-religious programs are to attain the best artistic and technical standards. It will be the function of the national offices to encourage the various types of religious programs within their territory, and to organize and coordinate them with each other. They will, in addition, offer their cooperation as far as possible to the directors of the other radio stations, due care being observed that nothing creeps into these transmissions contrary to sound morals. With regard to ecclesiastics, including exempt religious who are to be engaged in radio or television stations, it will be the bishop's duty to impart suitable directives, the carrying out of which will be committed to the various national offices. Catholic Radio Stations We should like particularly to speak words of encouragement to Catholic radio stations. We are fully aware of the almost countless difficulties which have to be faced in this sphere. Yet we trust that this apostolic work which we value so highly will be pursued by them with energy and with mutual collaboration. For our part, we have arranged the extension and perfecting of the Vatican radio station, which has done excellent work for the Church, the salutary activity of which, as we declared to the Catholics of Holland, who contributed to it so generously, has well responded to the ardent desires and the vital needs of the whole Catholic world.
program responsibility. Moreover, we desire to extend our thanks to all upright directors and producers of radio programs for their fair assessment of the needs of the Church, to which many of them have borne testimony, either by freely assisting a suitable time for the propagation of God's work, or by supplying the necessary equipment. By way of this acting, they are certainly sharing in the special reward of apostolic work, even though it is being carried out over the air, according to our Lord's promise. Who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive the reward of a prophet. In these days, technical excellence in radio programs requires that they be in conformity to the true principles of the art. Hence their authors and those engaged in preparing and producing them must be equipped with sound doctrine and a well-stored mind. Consequently, we earnestly invite them also, as we did the members of the motion picture industry, to make full use of that superabundance of material from the storehouse of Christian civilization. Finally, let the bishops remind state officials that it is part of their duty to exercise appropriate diligence in safeguarding the transmission of programs relating to the Catholic Church, and that special consideration should be given to holy days and to the daily spiritual needs of Christians. Section 4. Television It remains, venerable brethren, to briefly speak to you about television, which, in the course of our pontificate, has in some nations taken tremendous steps forward, and in others is gradually coming into use. The ever-growing development of this art, which beyond all doubt is an event of great importance in human history, has been followed by us with lively interest and high hopes, but also with serious anxiety. And while on the one hand we have from the beginning praised its potentialities for good and the new advantages springing therefrom, we have also on the other hand foreseen and pointed out the dangers and the excesses of those who misuse it. There are many characteristics common to both television and motion pictures, for in both Pictures of the movement and the excitement of life are presented to the eye. Often, too, television material is derived from existing films. Moreover, television shares, in a sense, in the nature and special power of sound broadcasting, for it is directed towards men in their own homes, rather than in theaters. We consider it superfluous in this place to repeat the warnings with regard to film and radio programs, which we have already given concerning the obligations binding in this matter on spectators, listeners, producers, and state officials. Nor need we again refer to the care and diligence which must be observed in the correct preparation and encouragement of the different types of religious programs. Catholic Programs it is well known to us with what deep interest vast numbers of spectators gaze at television programs of Catholic events. It is obvious, of course, as we declared a few years ago, that to be present at Mass portrayed by television is not the same as being actually present at the Divine Sacrifice, as is of obligation on Holy Days. However, from religious ceremonies as seen on television, Valuable fruits for the strengthening of the faith and the renewal of fervor can be obtained by all those who, for some reason, are unable to be actually present. Consequently, 
we are convinced that we may wholeheartedly commend programs of this kind. In each country, it will be for the bishops to judge of the suitability of televised religious programs and commit their execution to the established office, which, of course, as in similar matters, will be active and alert to publish information, to instruct the minds of the audience, and to organize and coordinate everything in a manner in keeping with Christian morals. Special Problems on Television But television, besides the common element which it shares with the other two inventions for spreading information, of which we have already spoken, has a power and efficacy of its own. For by the art of television, it is possible for the spectators to grasp, by the eye and the ear, events happening far away at the very moment at which they are taking place, and thus to be drawn on, as it were, to take an active part in them. And this sense of immediacy is increased very much by the home surroundings. This special power which television enjoys, of giving pleasure within the family circle, is to be reckoned of very great importance, since it can contribute a great deal to the religious life, the intellectual development and the habits of those who make up the family, of the sons especially, whom the more modern invention will certainly influence and captivate. But if that saying, a little leaven corrupteth the whole mass, corresponds at all to the truth, and if physical growth in youths can be prevented by some infectious germ from reaching full maturity, much more can some base element of education steal its way into the fibers of the religious life and check the due shaping of morals. Everyone knows well that very often children can avoid the transient attack of disease outside their own home, but cannot escape it when it lurks within the home itself. It is wrong to introduce risk in any form into the sanctity of home surroundings. The Church, therefore, as her right and duty demand, has always striven with all her force to prevent these sacred portals suffering violence, under any pretext, from evil television shows. Since television certainly has this among other advantages, that both old and young can easily remain at home, it can have considerable influence in strengthening the bonds of loyalty and love within the family circle, providing the screen displays nothing which is contrary to those same virtues of loyalty and chaste love. There are, however, some who completely deny that, at least in the present time, these lofty demands can be put into practice. For they repeatedly assert that the contract made with the spectators in no way permits any part of the time allotted to television to be left unoccupied. Further, that they are forced by the necessity of always having a variety of programs ready to hand, to put on shows sometimes which were originally intended only for the public theater. And finally, that television is an affair not just for the young, but for grown-ups as well. We admit that in this matter difficulties readily occur. Nevertheless, their solution should not be postponed to some future date. For the practice of this art, hitherto not controlled by the reins of prudent counsel, has already inflicted serious harm on individuals and on human society. The extent of this damage up to the present time can be gauged only with difficulty. But in order that the unraveling of these difficulties may advance side by side with the increasing use of television in each country, the most urgent efforts should be devoted to the preparation of the different shows, 
ensuring that they correspond to ethical and psychological requirements, as well as to the technical aspects of television. For this reason, we paternally exhort Catholics, well qualified by their learning, sound doctrine, and knowledge of the arts, and in particular clerics and members of religious orders and congregations, to turn their attention to this new art and give their active cooperation so that whatever benefits the past and true progress have contributed to the mind's development may also be employed in full measure to the advantage of television. In addition, it is essential that producers of television films take care not only to preserve intact religious and honorable principles, but also to be on special guard against the danger which the young may perhaps fall into if they are present at shows intended for grown-ups. With regard to similar performances which are put on in cinemas and theaters, in order to preserve the common good, appropriate precautions have been deliberately taken in almost all civilized countries, with the object of keeping young people away from immoral entertainments. But it is common knowledge that television, and with greater reason, needs the benefits and safeguards of alert vigilance. It is praiseworthy that, in some countries, Items forbidden to the young are excluded from television programs. But if it happens that certain places admit such, then at least definite precautions are absolutely essential. It is useless for anyone to suppose that excellent principles and an upright conscience on the part of those engaged in these arts are sufficient either to ensure that nothing but good flows from the small white screen or to remove all that is evil. In this matter, then, prudence and watchful care are especially demanded of those who make use of television. Due moderation in its use. Prudence in admitting the children to viewing according to their different ages. A balanced judgment based on what has been seen before. And finally, exclusion of children from what are in any sense improper spectacles. All these are the duties which weigh heavily on parents and on all engaged in education. We do not overlook the fact that the directives we have just given in the last section can sometimes produce serious difficulties and considerable inconveniences. For the awareness of their role as educators will often demand that parents give clear example to their offspring, and also bid them deny themselves, not without some personal sacrifice, some programs they would like to see. But who thinks the burden on parents is too heavy when the supreme good of the children is at stake? This being so, as we declared in a letter to the Italian bishops, it is a most pressing need that the conscience of Catholics with regard to television should be formed by the sound principles of the Christian religion, the more so in order that this kind of art may not be at the service of error or the squares of vice, but may prove to be rather a help to educate and train men, and recall them to their higher state. Conclusion To the Clergy We cannot conclude this letter, venerable brethren, without recalling to your mind the importance of the function committed to the priest, for encouraging and mastering the inventions which affect communication, not only in other spheres of the apostolate, but especially in this essential work of the Church. He ought to have a sound knowledge of all questions which confront the souls of Christians with regard to motion pictures, radio, and television. 
as we said in a discourse to those taking part in a study week for the bringing up to date of pastoral practice in Italy at the present time. The priest, with the care of souls, can and must know what modern science, art, and technique assert whenever they touch on the end of man and his moral and religious life. Let him learn to use these aids correctly, as often as, in the prudent judgment of ecclesiastical authority, the nature of the ministry entrusted to him and the need of assisting an increasing number of souls demand it. Finally, if these arts are employed by the priest to advantage, his prudence, self-control, and sense of responsibility will shine out as an example to all Christians. Summing up. We decided to lay before you, venerable brethren, our thoughts and anxieties, which you, of course, also share, concerning the grave dangers which can beset Christian faith and morals if the powerful inventions of motion pictures, radio, and television are perverted by men to evil uses. We have not, however, passed over the benefits and advantages which these modern instruments can bring. To this end, with the precepts of the Christian faith and natural law to enlighten us, we have explained the principles which must guide and regulate both the action of the directors of the means of publicity and the conscience of those who use them. And for the same reason, namely that the gifts of divine providence may secure the good of souls, we have paternally exhorted you not only to exercise a watchful care, but also to use positive action and authority. For it is the function of those national offices, which on this occasion also we have commended to you, not only to preserve and defend, but more especially to direct, organize, and assist the many educational projects which have been begun in many countries, so that by means of this difficult and extensive province of the arts, the Christian ideas may ever be more widely spread. But since we have firm confidence in the ultimate triumph of God's cause, we do not doubt that these precepts and instructions of ours, which we entrust for due execution to the Pontifical Commission for Motion Pictures, Radio, and Television, can rouse new enthusiasm for the apostolate in this sphere, which promises such a plenteous and fruitful harvest. Relying on this hope, which our well-founded knowledge of your pastoral zeal very much strengthens, we impart with all our heart, as a pledge of heavenly graces, the apostolic benediction on you, venerable brethren, as well as on the clergy and people committed to your care, and in particular on those who work actively to bring our desires and instructions to fulfillment. From St. Peter's, Rome, the 8th day of September, the Feast of Our Lady's Nativity, 1957, the 19th year of our pontificate, Pius XII.